What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Dunk, and I'm John Hodge. Today, we're discussing Brandon Banks signing with the Toronto Argonauts. The Edmonton Elks and University of Alberta Golden Bears partnering for a doubleheader, to be exact, in October. The Red Blacks continuing to sign veteran CFL free agents. Alden Darby reneging on the Ottawa Red Blacks. And the BC Lions hiring the first full-time female coach in CFL history. But first, the Edmonton Elks have signed Deron Carter as a defensive back, no less. The former CFL All-Star receiver spent the 2021 season coaching at North Palm Beach Prep in Florida, his home state. What are your expectations for the enigmatic Mr. Carter in Edmonton? Well, if I remember right, in the past, when Chris Jones, the head coach of the Riders, he felt like Carter could be the best defensive back in the entire league. Now, I'm not so sure that that's going to happen in Edmonton. I think he could be certainly pretty good, but we'll see how it actually turns out. The more intriguing part to me here is the timing of the signing, because I was told about this from a few people around the league, and we reported it on Three Down Nation that Chris Jones went down to Florida to meet with Carter and talk about a potential return to the CFL with Edmonton. Now, I had also heard that Jones did not want this to get out, and he didn't want the signing to be made official until after the free agent period because there are, let's say, some varying degrees of like or hate among players in the league for Carter based on what he's done in the past. Fair or not, that's part of the reason in my mind why this took so long to become officially official, even though we essentially told you that it was going to happen a number of weeks ago. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting one. I mean, never a dull moment in the CFL when you got Chris Jones and Jerron Carter on the same sideline. So that's going to be fun to watch. I'll say this. He was asked on Jason Greger's show in Edmonton, on Tuesday, what position he, you know, he thought he might play. And he talked about playing at the boundary at that cornerback spot. I think that's where we will see him at Edmondson. They cut Jonathan Mincy, who started there last season. And let's be honest, they've got two veteran, very good halfbacks in Ed Ganey and uh, uh, Aaron Grimes, the former of whom was with Jones in Saskatchewan back during his run there, 2016, 17, and 18. So I think that we're going to see Jerron Carter have the inside track to that boundary cornerback spot. And he talked about the fact that at six foot four, he wouldn't want to go up against himself. I mean, we very, very seldom see defensive backs with that type of size. He talked about getting back in a good shape, getting a little stronger uh, in advance of playing in 2022. But I'm interested to see what he does because, as he said, coaching down there in Florida, he was not only the head coach, but he was also the defensive coordinator of that team. So he's been really studying the defensive side of the game. He thinks having played offense for so long is going to help him in that that transition to DB full-time. And I'm interested to see what happens because it's going to be spectacular either way, Dunkster, whether it succeeds or whether it fails. 
<laughs> well said, man. And in my mind, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'd be scared to go against myself if Jerron Carter, the receiver, lined up against Jerron Carter, the defensive back. But we've seen in the past, Todd, some of these smaller receivers that have speed to burn, Deontay Spencer comes to mind for me when he was with Ottawa, get behind Carter in coverage. So you need to be quick, obviously agile and fast as a defensive back especially on the boundary side, because it happens so quickly. It's one of the shorter throws on the field. And majority of the time, you're going against the top receiver on a given opposing offense. Let's say like a lucky Whitehead. That would be a very intriguing matchup to me, because I think Whitehead's speed would be difficult for Carter. And there's a number of those speed demons in the league. So he's going to have to show that not only can he use his size, which will definitely be an asset, but that he can keep up with those receivers who have afterburners that are flat out faster than Carter. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he fares against the lucky whiteheads of the world, the Shaq Evans of the world, because he's going to face very stiff competition at that boundary cornerback spot, provided, of course, he wins a starting role. And I'm just excited to grab some popcorn, sit back and watch it unfold. What are the odds in your mind? It's a little bit off topic, I suppose, but the Carter actually makes the roster. Like, do you see that happening? That he enters the season as the starter in secondary at that boundary spot? Because if he's not the starter, he's probably not playing special teams. Well, he did talk about playing special teams and he has some return experience. To me, I, I think at the least Carter makes it as the field side corner. I mean, field side corner, you're not going to see a lot of action there. I think that's possibly a place where he could develop and hone his craft a little bit, given the fact that he hasn't played a lot of defensive back in his life. So do I think he'll be the week one starter boundary corner? I guess I'm a little skeptical, but I do think that we'll see him on the roster, though that's just me speculating here in February. Let's see what shakes down. 2019 CFL MLP Brandon Banks has signed with the Toronto Argonauts. He said he's built a relationship with GM Pinball Clemens over a number of years while he was with the rival Ticats. What are your expectations for Speedy B in the six? Well, let's start off with this. I think it's great that Pinball and Speedy B were able to develop this relationship. They got a lot in common, right? They're both diminutive, right? Brandon Banks and Pinball checking in basically at, you know, five, six. They both got great nicknames, though I think Pinball is probably the greatest nickname of all time in CFL history. Maybe maybe, maybe behind Gizmo. I don't know. Um, and then they've both won MOPs, right, as, as very undersized and versatile players, right? Banks has been an all-star as a receiver. He's been an all-star as a return specialist. And Pinball is as versatile as they come. He still leads the CFL in all-purpose yardage, receiver, returner, running back, you name it. Um, so I love that they were able to bond over that, right, and cultivate this relationship, as he said, talking to the media on Tuesday. Uh, to me, I just question how much gas is left in the tank for Speedy B. And he talked about that. He knows there are people asking questions. He's 34 years old. He turned 34 in December. And he said, you know, as a, as a diminutive player, there have always been people asking questions about what he can do right on the field at the pro level, taking those shots, taking those hits. But the reality is he's got 11 years of pro football under his belt. He did not have a very good season in 2021 as he struggled to stay healthy. So I would love to see Brandon Banks have a great season in double blue and absolutely ignite that rivalry that was already burning pretty hot at the end of 2021. But I will confess, I'm a little bit skeptical as to how much gas might still be in Speedy B's tank. 
And Speedy B talked about how he's actually going to start picking up weights, which to me was a bit of a surprise that he doesn't do that at all. But he realizes <laughs> that he needs to do that to get that burst back and be the actual real Speedy B. That's why he earned the nickname, obviously, is for his speed. So the fact that he's admitted that looks to be or is talking about actually back in the gym or doing some weights to gain that lower body strength back to have that burst could be a real key for the Argos. But one thing I think that's gone under the radar here and certainly valid is that lower body injury that Banks suffered, not in the most recent Grey Cup, but in the 2019 Grey Cup, cost him the rest of that game really as any type of a factor in Calgary. And obviously Winnipeg won it going away, but he felt like his body didn't necessarily recover and he didn't put the focus on that going into the 2021 season. Now, I, along with a lot of other people would have said, Hey, you had almost two years to get ready after that lower body injury in the 107th gray cup. So it shouldn't have bothered you at all. On the flip side of that, to be fair, he was dealing with a rib issue that was really out of his control because he took a big time shot in the end zone at Tim Hortons field in and around midseason <laughs> against the Argos. And he's a yep. small dude too, right? So for him to rely on his ability to be explosive and cut and be agile, he's got to be at full go. So that rib injury, I think, really did hold him back. Now, We've talked about Andrew Harris being added for $165,000. How do you think that price is outrageous? For me, when you look at the signing of Banks, it's $100,000 for the 2022 season. It's a two-year deal. He gets $10,000 in the form of a signing bonus. I think it's a low-risk, high-reward signing for the Argos, much different than the money that they gave out <laughs> to Harris. So for me, I like it because he adds that field-stretching element one that, to be honest, they dearly needed. So he said he had talked to a number of other teams, but I think the fact of him being comfortable with the province of Ontario and just having to move down the QEW really played a role in this signing and the relationship with Pinball Clemens. Like it or not, the comfortability factor certainly played a role with Banks. That's part of the reasons reason why he spent so much time in Hamilton. Yeah, and I, for the record, I'm not sure I would say it's outrageous that Harris got 165 in Toronto. I think it's it's eyebrow raising that he got that much money hard. I think if if he had a banks like deal as you lined it out right with the guaranteed money and then possible incentives on top, that makes a little bit more sense because for any veteran player right of his age, where injuries have taken a toll, I think you are taking a considerable amount of risk front-loading that deal with a bunch of guaranteed money. So, I again, I want to see Brandon Banks succeed in Toronto. I have him in the Hall of Fame. Even if he retired tomorrow, I would still put him in the Hall of Fame. Um, I, I, I just remain skeptical, though, as you said, I think that Toronto went about this deal the right way, and that's also evidenced by the way in which the deal took a little bit longer to get done. This wasn't a day one free agent frenzy signing. This took some time. Banks went through the process and both sides came to that, that position of comfortability, which I think is, is the right foot to kind of get this formal relationship off upon. So I, I do like it to an extent. I just have some questions about the, uh, the tread on the tire, so to speak for speedy B. Stat wise, he played in 10 games. I think he had over 40, 
receptions for over 400 yards. So you extrapolate that out to an 18-game season, that's going to be getting close to 1,000 yards. Now, you obviously need to stay healthy, but I don't think that Speedy B necessarily struggled to stay healthy. I think it was really just due to that hit and him not taking care of his body coming into the season. But I really think the large factor of that was that hit to the ribs, and that really held him back. I will say, at the end of the year, and especially in the playoffs, we saw some of the flashes of the 2019 version of Brandon Banks, the guy that's a playmaker, burning people as an absolute host. He's got a cannon. And he wasn't able to use it a lot of times when he got that starting role in 2021 because there wasn't a lot of guys that could push vertical like Speedy B can. So a committed Speedy B, maybe a yoked and jacked up Speedy B <laughs> might make you eat some crow. In defense of Brandon Banks, I don't lift weights either, so I'll, I'll give him that. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking about the first full-time female coach in CFL history. The BC Lions have hired Tanya Walter as a defensive assistant, making her the first full-time female coach in CFL history. She was a player in the Western Women's Canadian Football League as a member of the Edmonton Storm and has spent the past five seasons coaching at St. Francis Xavier High School in Edmonton. What does this mean for the CFL? It means that they actually, for once, or to start, <laughs> I should say, hold up to their slogan, diversity is strength, right? This is a long time coming. We've seen a number of female coaches in the NFL over recent years, and it's only growing. And, you know, not to be biased because she's done some work for us, but I thought like Amanda Ruler might be in this realm in terms of being the first full-time female coach hired, or at least should be one of the next ones up because of her background in strength and conditioning, which I think could really help a CFL team out. She's been talking to some CFL teams, but has not been brought in yet. So it's great to see Walter opening up the door and hopefully we have some more females getting into coaching in the CFL to provide a different perspective. I think there's a lot of talk, you know, all the time we talk about coaches or even football in general about, well, you didn't play the game at, let's say in this example, the CFL level. So how can you coach it? Well, there are some great players. I'm not going to name any names right now, but that are terrible coaches. The two don't necessarily go hand in hand, and I think Walter will prove that. Well, and we've also seen Hall of Fame coaches who never played or or played but at a relatively low level, right? A Andy Reid is going to walk into the Hall of Fame, and I think he quit playing football when he was 12. Like, th there's certainly a precedent. And we know that Walter has played. Personally, I applaud this move. It's long overdue. Our own J.C. Abbott, based out in Vancouver, has an excellent piece on Walter up at threedownnation.com. I would encourage all of our listeners to check that out. I applaud it. I, I, I watched the media veil that Tanya was in. I thought she said all the right things. Her head, I think, is in the right place. And Rick Campbell, the head coach and co-general manager of that club, was very clear that he does not consider this to be, you know, uh, th them doing Tanya any favors just because she happens to be female. This was a football hire in his mind. She was the best person for the job. And I think that it's spectacular that she's gotten this opportunity because 
all across North America, there are women in sports who are overlooked. They might be the best or most qualified person for the job, but they're not necessarily given that opportunity because, as you said, they don't have the same resume or the same playing background that that many men have. So I think this is great. I hope it's the first of many hires of this variety. Yeah, and I don't want to necessarily go down this road with this, but I hope that this opens up a discussion about the football operations cap, just even in terms of the number of coaches that you can have on staff, because I believe male, female, or otherwise, that there needs to be a better development program for these coaches getting into the pro ranks. Like it's great that Walter coached at the high school level in Edmonton for a number of years, but if there was a program there where even during training camp, she or others or males or females could come and do some guest coaching, or if there wasn't necessarily a hard number on the way that you could spend that football operations cap money, then maybe there would be some younger coaches who would be in the pipeline here and more opportunities for younger males and females in Canada, especially that want to get into those roles and break up sort of the old boys club. So it's great to see Walter crash down this barrier. And I would imagine that in the future, we're only going to see more females in the CFL. Ottawa's list of free agent additions continues to grow with defensive back Tremaine Washington and receiver B.J. Cunningham signing with the team. Hodge, are the Red Blacks East Division contender now, if even only on paper? Well, I'll say this. I, I took the liberty of making a Red Blacks depth chart with all of their new signings and also their 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 losses. We have seen them lose a few uh, starting caliber players to free agency. And I got to say, on paper, let's keep in mind, it's on paper. This is not in practice. The proof will be in the pudding come training camp in the regular season in 2022. But I like this a lot. Uh, it's going to be up on 3 Donation, the full depth chart. So I encourage you to check it out there. But right now, their receiving core, I've got starting Darvin Adams, Jalen Acklin, RJ Harris, BJ Cunningham, and Nate Bahar. And Dunk, the, the vets behind them, They've got Ryan Davis, who was arguably their best receiver in 2021. I don't have him starting. I have him in a backup returning role, along with Shaq Johnson, who can take the top off of a defense. We saw him do it many times in BC. So already that receiving core that was easily the worst in the league last season, I think is looking very solid. The other place I'll highlight is the secondary. The secondary had a lot of issues at times in 2022. They've got Randall Evans. I've got Money Hunter, Tremaine Washington, and Sherrod Baltimore starting across the back end with Patrick Levels at strong side linebacker. They've also got Abdul Kenna there. I don't even have Abdul Kenna in a starting role. And then at safety, you've got your pick of Antoine Pernod, Ty Cranston, who they brought over from Montreal, Justin Howell. I think this roster is infinitely better, and I'm just getting into it again. The full piece will be up at three down, but I think this team on paper is about 100 times better than it was in 2021. And I'm excited to see if that will translate to the field come training camp. For me, if you look at just two specific spots on offense, you can make an argument that the Red Blacks have the best offensive line and best quarterback right now in the East Division. I think that would certainly be up for debate. So you talk about quarterback being the most important position in football. If I had to pick out of all the quarterbacks in the East Division right now, I think I'd be taking Jeremiah Masoli if I had to start a team. That offensive line, in my mind, with the way that they've retooled it, is certainly better than the Tiger Cats offensive line that Masoli played behind in 2021. So 
that's just my take. But if you look at two very important areas that are vital for success, the Red Blacks upgraded them in a big way. And I think, as you said, the receiving core looks much different. I would argue, though, that they do need to find a legit, consistent field stretcher. Shaq Evans, whether, or sorry, Shaq Johnson, whether that's him getting on the field or not more, could be one of those guys. But they're going to have to unearth a gem here, which I certainly think is possible. You talk to scouts around the league, they feel like, Receiver is one of the easier positions to bring an American in and get a guy to be really good pretty quickly. So I think that that's certainly possible, although it's not a known quantity at this point. But in my mind, the offensive line Masoli give this team a legit shot to contend in the East and be in the playoffs in 22. Well, let's break down that offensive line quickly. Why? Because, frankly, I'll find any excuse I can to talk about the offensive line. You've got Ucambray Williams over from Calgary, hold down the left side. And then on the interior, you have three brand-new Canadians. Hunter Stewart, who I think was the best O-lineman in BC last year. Darius Sirocco, who's an up-and-coming center. And Jacob Ruby, who was playing at a relatively high level in Edmonton before he was cut for misrepresenting his vaccination status in 2021. Those four spots, I think, are set. I think some of their Canadians are really intriguing as well. I like Jacob Zott, who they got in the 2020 CFL draft out of McMaster. Connor Bergloff, I thought, was a very underrated player in the 2021 CFL draft out of Saskatchewan. To me, the question mark is at right tackle. They're going to have to find somebody there. They rotated a million tackles. I think they started nine different guys at tackle last season, and frankly, none of those combinations worked. So I think that's the uh, that's the question mark spot. But Dunkster, as you said, if they can uncover, in addition to these veteran signings, a good right tackle and a speedster who could take the top off a of defense in the receiving core, the sky is the limit for this team because on paper, they look fantastic, especially at a, at a few key spots. The Edmonton Elks and University of Alberta Golden Bears have partnered to host games on Saturday, October 15th. The Golden Bears will play at noon, followed by the Elks and Argos at 5 p.m. What do you think of this new initiative? It's great. It's a long time coming. It should have been done ages ago. And in my mind, it helps out both sides, but more so you sports because it helps put a showcase on that and the fans are going to win as well to me this is something that should be done in every single cfl market like every single year this should be a staple so i'm kind of scratching my head and wondering why hasn't this happened before because it seems like you know brainer i get it from a logistics perspective it's maybe not ideal at some of these stadiums if they don't have the locker room capacity or they got to clean the field and turn it over but that can be done in my mind and the elks are going to show it here. And I think it shows how this new regime in Edmonton is already understanding that, hey, we got to connect with the community here. And a large part of it is the football aspect. So the fact that they're bringing in the Golden Bears who haven't played at Commonwealth Stadium in a long time, like that goes back before my knowledge, but there's some people out there that could answer that question. But <laughs> it's something that should happen all over. And I mean, you could even do it really i think off the top of my head like in every cfl city i mean if i was let's say the argos you know maybe you're not even just limiting yourself to the university of toronto you're trying to grow your brand out there maybe you go to some of the other schools that are closer mcmaster is a natural fit with hamilton but this needs to be done more and i think it helps out both sides 
Absolutely. I think I saw on Twitter on Tuesday that the last time the Golden Bears played at Commonwealth is 1998. I could be wrong on that, but it's been it's been a long time, right? It's been a couple of decades. And to me, this is a fabulous, fabulous idea. I love this initiative. I love this idea. I love that it's outside the box. I love that it's different. To me, yeah, there's going to be lots of fans who buy a ticket to the doubleheader and don't show up until the second game. And that's perfectly fine. But I know in the province of Manitoba, you know, the Manitoba Bisons are lucky to have, say, a thousand or fifteen hundred people in the crowd, which wouldn't be a problem if the venue was that size. But at High G Field, where you've got, you know, 30 some thousand seats, it, it kills the atmosphere. It kills the buzz. And if you could even get 10,000 people, say a third of the audience shows up early for a game in, in Edmonton, Winnipeg, wherever the places that you've mentioned, Dunkster, I think it's brilliant especially because you can then start selling as a team. If you if you have a, not, a, a noon kickoff, you can open the doors at 11, start selling food, beverages, all those things. You're going to have people buying lunch and dinner at the stadium instead of just one or the other or maybe buying a snack or nothing at all. If you have them for eight hours, the sky's the limit for merchandise, concessions, all that stuff. So I think this is brilliant. And if you can pair rivalry games with you sports games, I think it's even better, right? Like the Elks are doing this with an Argos game, which is fine. But imagine if before, for example, the Labor Day Classic in, in, in Alberta, what if the Dinos hosted the Golden Bears? Or what if you were in a situation where, you know, the Regina Rams could visit the, uh, the, the, the Manitoba Bisons, right, for the Banjo Bowl? Like if you pair some of these rivalries, you're going to get people from both markets coming out to not just one, but both games. And I love it it's different it's unique it's fun it's interesting it's engaging 10 out of 10 for me that in my mind is the key and you get eyes on the U sports product too and potential stars that are going to come to the cfl like you said by and large part and you've been to a bunch of blue bombers games and i'll just speak more to the tiger cats fans but those fans are there like hours before the game like Absolutely. sometimes they're there at the crack of dawn so if you happen to have a football game going on inside the stadium and i think this idea should be explored where people could go in and out. I know largely they don't really like to do that, but if you have the university game where people could go in and check it out and, you know, come back outside and, you know, cook up their lunch or whatever they're doing on their grill, I think that would be beneficial too. that people there already. It's much similar to when the Vanier cup and the Greg cup were paired together that, Absolutely. yeah, the Vanier cup is a great event at Laval and you know, they're going to support it there in Quebec city. But that's not growing football across the country, and that's not necessarily benefiting U sports in terms of getting more eyeballs on a football product that is getting to be a higher and higher level every year. So I think this is an amazing idea. Hopefully the rest of the teams look at this and make it happen. I think it should be a yearly staple that in every single market, there's one game where it's a doubleheader and the university team's play before them and heck Hodge maybe you can even get to the point where it's a triple header where you have Absolutely. some elite high school matchups before right we know high school football you know especially out west and definitely in Toronto and even the Hamilton area the number one ranked team in the country St. Thomas More plays in Hamilton so there's a number of high caliber football teams around at the high school level that it just is going to benefit everyone across the board you made a great point about the team perspective and the CFL perspective, I should say, and the franchise perspective, having the gates open longer, having those fans engaged in three-down football potentially at a younger audience or younger age, I should say, 
and bringing those people in because maybe there's some people out there that only go to watch their nieces and nephews or their kids playing the high school football game. But, oh, if there's a triple header and we can make an event or a day of it, maybe we're going to stay longer and get exposed to a different product. Like maybe there's people that only watch high school football and then don't really check out the CFL, but this leads them to do that. That's why I think there could be a benefit both ways. Excellent point. Excellent point. And, and Hey, even CJFL, we could get some CJFL in there as well. There's all kinds of opportunities for partnerships here. And I think too long, these different entities, CFL, U sports, CJFL, high school, everything have operated in their own little unique boxes. It's time to break out those boxes and jump into the pool together and grow this game as a conglomerate, as a collaborative effort, because on, on, on their own, they're not going to be as successful as they ever could be if they get this done together properly. We got to take a quick break, Dunkster. When we come back, it'll be time for Hodges Heritage Bowl. On this day in 2012, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders signed free agent offensive lineman Brendan Labatt. The native of Weyburn, Saskatchewan, had spent the previous four seasons with Winnipeg, where he was a first-round pick, but sought a change of scenery after being nickel-and-dimed by then-Blue Bombers general manager Joe Mack. Labatt was named a West Division All-Star six times with the Riders and won the league's Most Outstanding Offensive Lineman Award and the Grey Cup in 2013. Labatt elected not to play in 2021, citing concerns regarding the COVID restrictions for players and a desire to spend more time with his family. He remains on the roster for 2022, though his future remains unclear. Dunkster, do you think we've seen the last of Brendan Labatt in the CFL? Mm, Jeremy O'Day said there had been some talks between the Riders and Labatt, but it seems to me that the longer this goes along, the smaller the chances of him returning. I will say, though, the one possibility that likely... Tim, even though I'm not Mr. Labatt, would be potentially winning a great cup on his home soil. So maybe that brings him back, but I'm just getting the sense more and more that we could have seen the last of him. What about you? I hope we see him, and it's for that same reason that you mentioned. They wanted it home in 2013. He signed a contract extension through 22 on the same day as Dan Clark, who was also a member of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and a Saskatchewan native, on that same home turf in 2013 at Old Mosaic Stadium. They wanted it at Old Mosaic Stadium. I want him to have the chance to win at New Mosaic Stadium. I hope we haven't seen the last of him. It's now on to the three-minute drill, powered by Jiffy Lube. Alden Darby originally agreed to terms with the Ottawa Red Blacks, but signed with Hamilton after experiencing a change of heart. Is that fair? It is, but it's also an example of understanding what goes on behind the scenes here especially with the legal tampering period that until something is signed these teams are not necessarily going to take it to the bank because darby had agreed he was hyped to go to ottawa and then all of a sudden the tiger cats came in and took him away from their arrival in the division jaguar davis apologized to tyke signed the rival argos was that necessary no, and I mean, I'll give him credit. I think it's classy to thank the Ticats fans for all their support. I think it's it was he, he did a very classy job of, of you know uh, expressing gratitude for their support. But did he have to apologize? No. But hey, I give him credit for doing it anyways. The Argos signed quarterback Chad Kelly, who was the nephew of Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback Jim Kelly, 
and was a huge star at Ole Miss. Do you think he'll have an impact in the six? It's possible, but I'm going to take the wait-and-see approach. He's hyped up. You can tell that from his Twitter feed to come to Toronto, but I, we've seen this song and dance so many times before. I just hope he treats the Canadian game with respect and puts in the time to learn it properly. Otherwise, he'll be out of the league quickly like we've seen so many other of these big names from the NCAA or the NFL. New Saskatchewan Rough Riders linebacker Darnell Sankey ain't afraid to compete with Larry Dean for his starting job. Should he be? I don't think he should be because I think the Riders are going to start an all-American linebacking core in 2022, probably with Larry Dean at the weak side linebacker spot. But that's just uh, my suspicion. Andrew Harris told the Rock Peterson show that he also had interest in free agency from the Edmonton Elks and BC Lions before ultimately signing with the Toronto Argonauts. Would it have been a fit for him to join either West Division team? The Lions would have certainly made sense. I would struggle to see how the Elks signed James Wilder Jr. Chris Jones raves about him. They're giving him $135,000 to play that role. So I don't know how Harris would have fit in there. They do have money to spend. It's just they ran out of signing bonus money. So it would have been interesting to see how that backfield played out. But the Lions, I think, would have been the better fit. That said, intrigued to see what he does in Toronto. Canadians Michael Heck and AJ Jackson of the LA Rams have joined the ultra-exclusive list of Canadians who won the Super Bowl, a group that now has grown to 14 different people. How cool is that? I think it's very cool, and it's Hoyt, by the way. If you want to hear from Michael Hoyt, scroll one back on your podcast feed, and you'll be able to hear him talk in advance of the Super Bowl that he has since won. Warren Moon is a big fan of BC's decision to play two Canadian quarterbacks in 2022, telling Bob Marjanovic, quote, I love it, end quote. I guess that means you and Moon have something in common, Mr. Duck. Mm-hmm. Warren Moon just went up a bunch of notches in my book. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers signed defensive back Theatric Nichols to a contract extension through 2020. How critical is that to the secondary? I think it's huge. Dietrich Nichols is maybe the most underrated defensive back in the CFL. I'd almost say the most underrated player in the CFL, although I suppose he was named the league all-star, so people are going to catch on quick. But he is legit. That is all for today. We thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We will see you next Wednesday for another episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.